The following program is being brought to you on the Voice America Business Channel. For more information about our network and to check out additional show hosts and topics of interest, please visit voiceamericabusiness.com. The Voice America Talk Radio Network is the worldwide leader in live Internet talk radio. Visit voiceamerica.com. The views and ideas expressed on the following program are strictly those of the hosts or guests and do not necessarily reflect the views and ideas held by the Voice America Talk Radio Network, its staff, and management. It's time for Americans to grow up and become financially responsible. Let's talk about something important. If you're in it for the money, that's not a bad thing. Do you realize how much money he just saved us? This is The Financial Physician with Lou Scatigna. The Financial Physician. It's the fastest hour in Money Talk Radio. It's also my pleasure to see to it that decent, hardworking people in this community aren't robbed blind by a pack of money-mad pirates. This is financial advice you can take to the bank. He's your money man. Show me the money. Your source for straightforward, no-nonsense financial advice. Bring me your money questions, because I'm here to help. And now, here he is, the financial physician, America's money doctor, Lou Scatigna. Hello, my friends. How are you? Welcome to The Financial Physician, where we talk money, markets, and politics. Thanks so much for joining us. Great to be back with you live after being gone last weekend. Uh, there was absolutely no way I was doing this radio show at this time last Wednesday because I was on a an operating table getting surgery on uh, both of my biceps. As I mentioned a few weeks back in this program about a month ago, uh, I uh, I uh, fell off a boat. I was getting on a boat and I and I slipped. And as I was slipping, I grabbed the rail as hard as I could. And basically what happened is both my bicep ligaments ruptured, fell in the water anyway, and had to pull myself out back onto the boat. And uh, overnight, I couldn't move my arms. And uh, the next morning, it was obvious that I had ruptured both biceps. Now, my experience with the healthcare system was uh, quite aggravating. And I pay a lot of money in health insurance premiums. Now, the next day after this accident, I went and saw my orthopedist, and of course, he wanted to get an MRI on both my arms to see the extent of the damage and decide whether or not if surgery was necessary. Well, it took New Jersey Blue Cross Blue Shield nine days to deny me my MRI. Now, as you can imagine, waiting nine days is a very short window where you could have any kind of surgery to a, an injury that I, like I had. Uh, and I had to wait nine days for them to tell me, no, we're not going to pay for an MRI. Uh, just put some more ice on it for the next couple of weeks and let's see how it goes. Now, of course, uh, I was livid. Now, if I was on Medicaid or Medicare or some kind of other government, I'd, I wouldn't write in. I wouldn't need, need approval. But the fact that I pay $1,787 a month Yes, $1,787 a month in health insurance premiums, uh, I get denied. And you can imagine how I felt about it. So the next morning I got on the phone and read Blue Cross the Riot Act. And um, a day later they finally approved me for the MRI. And it was obvious that I had torn biceps. Uh, and by the time we were able to schedule uh, the surgery to repair them, uh, it was last Wednesday. And basically, so I went to surgery at 2.30 in the afternoon, got out at 5.30, uh, 
uh, three-hour operation between the two arms. And uh, I've been pretty much, in the last week, I've been incapacitated. I uh, can't move my hands very much, can't move my arms. Uh, up until yesterday, I was wrapped in a soft cast on both arms. And uh, thankfully for my wife, Susan, uh, who was my nurse during that period, uh, I couldn't eat. I couldn't feed myself. couldn't do anything. I couldn't do anything by myself. So uh, my wife uh, had to take care of me. And then yesterday, we took off the, the soft cast, and now I'm on uh, these braces here that give me a little bit more flexibility. But uh, those of you who are listening, watching this on the, on the blog, on the video, you can see I have these bionic arms on here, which uh, are pretty good. They give me a lot of movement as far as moving my shoulders and stuff, but uh, I still can't move my arms up or down. I can barely use my hands. So, you know, I was thinking about whether or not I um, – was going to be able to do the show today. I mean, it's only been one week since surgery, and you know, I basically can't prep and, and so forth. But uh, I decided that there's too much going on uh, the last two weeks uh, in the financial markets and the political arena uh, to deprive you of a live show. And here I am, and thankfully my my daughter Michelle's helped me. She's been my arms and hands and get ready for the program, and she's going to try to get me uh, through the program. Uh, but uh, here I am. I'm back to. Uh, Back on the air, doing the best I can to get through this. If I sound a little out of it, it's because of all the medication I'm taking, including uh, pain pills. So uh, we're really doing a, a kind of a weird – in 14 uh, years of doing radio, I never did a radio show under these con- uh, circumstances. But anyway, we're going to give it the best the best go we possibly can. If you want to be part of the program, you have a question on any money matter or comment, 866-472-5790. Uh, is our calling number. Now, what happened over the last two weeks while I was gone? Well, quite a lot happened. And uh, last Wednesday, just as I was going under, uh, the Federal Reserve came out and uh, kind of surprised financial markets, surprised economists, and decided not to pare back uh, their QE program. And the big word that's been banded around uh, this uh, the situation is taper. Uh, ben Bernanke uh, in June uh, said that uh, not long down the line, and most people thought it was about September, that the Federal Reserve would taper their quantitative easing program. In other words, instead of printing $85 billion a month and buying treasury bonds and mortgage bonds, that they were going to taper that back a little bit. Now, not stop printing money, stop buying bonds, but maybe taper it back $10 billion. That's what most people in the markets believed was going to happen is that the Fed was going to announce that they were going to cut that back to $75 billion. Now, again, $75 billion is $75,000 million being printed out of thin air uh, to buy our bonds. But just the talk of tapering in June caused all kinds of volatility in the financial markets. The stock market went down. Bonds went down big time with the yield on the 10-year Treasury bond jumping from – uh, 1.5% back in late May to 3% just recently, a doubling of interest rates in the 10-year market. We also saw mortgage rates go up dramatically from 35 back in May uh, to currently 4.8%. And think about the effect that has on housing. Now, I told you weeks ago that there's no way that uh, the Federal Reserve was going to do any kind of tapering. And because it, it just didn't make any sense. I mean, we knew that the housing market can't handle it. The economy is very vulnerable. We're, we're bouncing along here about 1% growth. And there's no way that the Federal Reserve could take that kind of measure. And they did a lot of talk about it and so forth and so on. But the markets were incredibly surprised that they didn't. 
that they said they were going to continue with their $85 billion a month printing, and that the reason that they were doing it is, uh, well, to quote Ben Bernanke, he said it was a precautionary step. He said, we're going to do, we decided to wait a little longer to make sure the economy is conforming to their positive economic outlook. So in other words, the economy stinks, and he knows it. And there's no way that he could start tapering stimulus. And the stock markets and the bond market are addicted to stimulus, just like a drug addict is addicted to crack. And that punch bowl is what's rallied stock markets, what has rallied the bond market for the last five years and kept interest rates low. And again, just to talk about uh, that potentially happening caused all kinds of turmoil in the market. So if it really did happen, and it looked like it was going to continue where the Fed was really going to taper and end all QE by June of 2014. Markets, the economy, the housing market, the bond market, uh, all would have uh, been in deep trouble. And nobody knows that better than Ben Bernanke. And we know Ben's leaving. Most likely any day uh, the president's going to nominate uh, Janet Yellen, uh, the vice chairman of the Federal Reserve, to be chairman of the Federal Reserve and to replace Ben Bernanke in January. And I'll tell you, Ben Bernanke doesn't want to leave his job. He's getting out of Dodge just in time. The last thing Ben Bernanke wants to do is upset financial markets as he goes into retirement. That's the job of his successor. Although many people don't think that his successor is going to be anything uh, like a hawk and will continue the the easy money policy. And that's when uh, a couple of weeks ago when Larry Summers, another front runner for the Fed uh, Chairman Post, uh, when he backed out, markets rallied because some thought in the market that he'd be a little bit more prone to tighten um, stimulus, whereas Janet Yellen would be more likely to continue it. And markets crave stimulus. Markets crave liquidity, and markets crave money being created out of thin air and being flushed into the system. And a lot of that money has found its way into the stock market. So uh, I wasn't surprised. A lot of people were surprised, but I told you on this program for a long time uh, that this wasn't going to happen. And one of the guys out there that I really, truly respect, uh, Jim Sinclair, has said it. And he, he's the first one to say this, and, and he should have trademarked it, but it's QE to infinity. There is no way for the Federal Reserve to stop printing money, to stop buying bonds, because when they do, all hell will break loose. So now all these Federal Reserve guys are coming out and they're saying, well, you know, we're going to do it. We're going to taper down the line, you know, maybe December. By December, the economy will be much worse than it is now. So there's no way they're going to be able to do it then. And I think the Federal Reserve has lost a lot of credibility. The Federal Reserve was preparing the markets in June, in July, in August for a tapering of quantitative easing. And now they come out and say they're not going to do it. Now, of course, bonds like that, and I told you keep an eye on the, on the Treasury bond yield. It hit 3% a couple of weeks back. Uh, it's now 265, which took a little pressure off the bond market because, let's face it, if uh, the Fed's going to continue to print money and buy $85 billion worth of Treasury and mortgage bonds, well, that's obviously a bid in the market, and that's very supportive of bond prices. And, and this is the reason why the Fed backed away from tapering. I think the number one reason is the 10-year Treasury yield. He was losing control of the bond market. And losing control of the treasury bond market means losing control of the housing market because mortgage rates, 30-year fixed mortgage rates, are tied to the 10-year 
bond market. Now, the, they came out and said that uh, the employment rate has fallen to 7.3% from 8.1% uh, in the last year. But even Bernanke pointed out that the decline last month was due entirely to Americans dropping out of the labor force. And that's the reason why the, the unemployment rate has come down. Not because employment is improving. It's because less people are looking for jobs because they're discouraged. And they just say, you know what? I, I've just given up. And that's the reason why the Fed had to move. Because if he did taper, we're going to see interest rates go to 35 to 4%, which would absolutely cripple the housing market, the economy, and cause continued outflows in the bond market. So the Fed has pretty much painted itself into the corner. They know they can't end tapering. But if they just say they're going to do quantitative easing forever, that would have its negative effect on the markets as well. And, uh, you know, the, the Fed did agree to keep its, you know, Fed funds rate at near zero, at least until unemployment, uh, the unemployment rate falls to 6.5%. Uh, and that's been his guideline that we're not going to raise interest rates until that happens. But if that happens because people are dropping out of the workforce because they're discouraged, uh, then that's not going to be uh, the reason to do it. So we're not going to see an increase in interest rates. We're not going to see uh, the end of quantitative easing, and the markets know it. And that's why the stock market had rallied late last week. But since late last week, the market has been down big. This is the third day in a row. Last I looked, the market was down like 60 points. It was down, what, 180 uh, yesterday, uh, and it was down Monday as well. So now the markets are looking at it and saying, wait a second, you know, there's a reason why. Ben Bernanke's taking this action, and the reason is that the economy stinks and the economy is really contracting. And if that's the case, we may be entering uh, the next recession. Now, there was one Federal Reserve President, Esther George, who uh, was the only member of the FOMC to dissent and think that uh, they should taper uh, stimulus. And he said that um, by hinting at a taper and then walking it back unexpectedly, that the Fed's credibility is at risk. And he's right about that. All right, time for a break. 866-472-5790 is the phone number. You're listening to The Financial Physician right here on Voice America's business channel. Don't go away. When it comes to business, you'll find the experts here. Voice America Business Network. If you currently or aspire to serve on a board or work in a leadership capacity for or with a public or nonprofit organization, where can you turn to get the best advice and practices? How about Leadership Matters with Dr. Cheryl G., Jenny Frumer, John Janetta, and Linda Schub? Our program discusses challenges facing both public and nonprofit leaders. Don't miss these practical solutions and tips to enhance your leadership style and effectiveness. Leadership Matters airs live Wednesdays at 2 p.m. Pacific, 5 p.m. Eastern on the Voice America Business Channel. Did you know that at the root of every business problem lies a communication issue? Communication Nation, a show that brings effective business communication practices to the masses, addresses a number of topics and talking points that impact your professional development, as well as business productivity and profitability. 
Host Jill Schiffelbein makes the theoretical tangible. Tune in each Tuesday at 8 a.m. Pacific Time, 11 a.m. Eastern Time on the Voice America Business Channel. Be ready to become a better communicator with Communication Nation. We spend 70% of our week in the office. What is the difference between enjoying your job and enduring it? The number one motivator is a positive work environment. And that's where Real Recognition Radio comes in. Join your hosts, Roy Saunderson and S. Max Brown, as they take a look at the positive factors of the workplace, such as employee rewards, recognition, incentives, and much more. Tune in to Real Recognition Radio, Tuesdays at 1 p.m. Eastern, 10 a.m. Pacific, on the Voice America Business Channel. When it comes to business, you'll find the experts here. Voice America Business Network. You're listening to The Financial Physician. And America's money doctor, Lou Scatigna, is here to help you. Call with your questions now at 1-866-472-5790. That's toll free. 1-866-472-5790. Once again, here's Lou. All right, Lou Scatigna here. Welcome back to The Financial Physician, where we get together each and every Wednesday, 4 p.m. Eastern Time, 6 a.m. on the West Coast, to talk about money, markets, and politics. And I'm here... uh, Breaking my uh, recuperation from dual arm surgery, uh, reattachment of my bicep um, ligaments, and um, and uh, uh, it's been uh, quite an interesting week. Actually, it's been an interesting month and a half because it's it's it took me almost a month to be able to to get surgery after my injury, and uh, not knowing uh, which way I was going to go was kind of uh, troublesome to say the least. And uh, my insurance company. Uh, I'm glad they're paying a nice big bill for the surgery that I had and the follow-up that I have to go through here. But uh, uh, I didn't want to skip another show for you. I wanted to have a, a live show with you. I could barely move my arms. I'm doing my best to get through my pile of stuff. And uh, uh, thanks for being with us, and, and thanks for getting us through the show. The phone number is 866-472-5790. any comment or question on any money matter, and we do have a caller on the line, and he's from Winston, Chicago. Please state your name, sir or madam. Uh, yeah, my name is Winston, and I'm from Chicago. How about oh, that? Oh, Winston, Chicago. Oh, I got you. I got you. I got you. So, uh, <laughs> yeah, I guess Winston, Chicago. Chicago's a city. It's not a state. So, <laughs> I told you, I'm on painkillers today, so it's going to be an interesting show. <laughs> what can we do for you, sir? Well, first of all, thank you for uh, actually being here. I was just on your uh, website uh, looking at your blog and reading about everything, and it's just nice to know that you have that kind of work ethic to actually help us out, even though that you're in a complete struggle. So, thank you for that. Well, I missed I missed being doing my radio show, so uh, there was some selfishness to that too. I enjoy doing. It. I look forward to it each and every week. So missing last week, I had to be here one way or the other. And I was glad I was able to do it. Spot on. Well, I'm hoping that um, I'm not needing an actual physician for this. I'm hoping to stay uh, as financially healthy as I am, and in doing so, I'm. My, my question is, uh, I'm newly married. And uh, we're looking, of course, to buy a house and start a family and all that stuff. Uh, what and, and there are even times where, you know, we have our ramen noodle days because we're trying to make sure that we're saving enough money for everything. Um, what should I be looking for? You know, like what should I be looking out for, you know, as a newly married person? Well, congratulations on your marriage and uh, congratulations for being interested in, in, in financial responsibility and doing things the right way because uh, many young people, I don't know if you're young, get married, but, you know, most people get young, you know, get married, you know, say they're in their 20s or so forth. They're just totally unprepared for what they're facing financially. So uh, I'm glad that you have interest in you and you're trying to do the right thing. 
the key here is that uh, when you buy a new home, and, and I'm going to you know leave your uh, your address with my producer, and I'm going to send you a copy of my book, The Financial Physician, and in it is a chapter on everything you need to know about buying a home properly how to figure out what you can afford, how to go through the process, things that you need to know. And uh, I, I think that's probably, uh, if not the uh, most important chapter in the book, one of them, uh, because so many people got into such trouble uh, over the, you know, the last 10 years because of buying homes wrong. Mm-hmm. So what you need to do is, first of all, you need to pare down debt otherwise. Make sure you don't have any other debt. I mean, if you have a, um, a credit card debt or you have big car payments, you know, you're not ready to buy a house yet. And and I think too many people when they get married, uh, they're in a rush to uh, to purchase a home. Exactly. And you don't really need to do it, especially in this environment, because uh, it's, you know housing is really not going anywhere. And now that interest rates are starting to go up again, uh, we're going to see a sideways move in housing at best, mm-hmm. uh, and maybe see another leg down. And if that's the case, there's no reason why you can't wait. Yeah, but yeah. these are the major guidelines to buying a home. Okay. You got to be able to put down twenty percent. If you can't put down 20%, you shouldn't think about buying a home. I know there's a lot of first-time home buyer incentives that you can put nothing down or 5%, but you need to have some skin in the game. You need to have some equity in the property. Otherwise, it, it, it makes no sense uh, to sit there and, and have a bank own a house that you're living in. You're basically renting it from the bank. So you really don't want that to be the issue. You don't be renting a house from the bank. And you got to think about the size of the house you're going to buy. You don't want the principal and interest and taxes to exceed about 25% of your net income. Not just say gross income. That's, that's kind of the area where I'm comfortable with, where your payment won't be more than about 25% of your gross income. And realize that the first house you buy is probably not going to be your last. So you don't not need to buy that huge house with everything in it, the big built-in pool and all that stuff on your first home. Most people find uh, their first home is an entry home, something that they can really afford, uh, something uh, that won't put them under the gun immediately after they get married, and uh, and then they trade up to a house uh, bigger. But again, the most important thing is you don't have to buy a house. This is a renter's market right now, and renters hold all the cards. They don't have to worry about increases in property taxes. They don't have to maintain anything. Uh, if they, they need to move to find a job, uh, they have that mobility as opposed to being illiquid in a home. There's lots of advantage to being a renter right now. And that wasn't always the case. And we always told people in the past that uh, it certainly makes sense uh, if you can to own a property and build equity over time. But that's true in a normal housing market when you're seeing housing uh, go up. We're seeing a, a sideways move at best here in housing. And again, with the rise in interest rates that we've seen uh, as a result of uh, Ben Bernanke out there talking about tapering quantitative easing and the rise in the, the, the treasury, uh, 10-year treasury bond yield from one5 to almost 3 and mortgages from 35 to 4.8, uh, it's put a real damper on the housing market. And a lot of people who bought a few years back thinking that they wanted to trade the bounce, I think are unloading now. So there's no rush to run out there and buy a home at this point. Especially when you hear things like this. Um, The Swiss-based bank of central banks, the biggest bank really in the world, it's it's the central bank of central banks, which is uh, uh, the BIS, uh, 
said that the hunt for yield was luring investors in mass into high-risk investments and that a phenomenon reminiscent of the exuberance prior to the global financial crisis is at hand. And again, this is happening just as the U.S. Federal Reserve prepares to wind down stimulus, or at least they say they are, and they didn't, and start to, to drain liquidity from global markets. Quote, this looks like to me like 2007 all over again, but worse, said William White, uh, uh, the Bank of International Settlements former chief economist. And he was famous for flagging uh, the wild behavior in the debt markets before the global storm hit in 2008. He had warned about it. He saw it coming. They were one of the only banks out there saying it was going to happen. Quote, all previous imbalances are still there. Total public and private debt levels are 30% higher as a share of GDP in the advanced economies than they were then. And we have added a whole new problem with bubbles in emerging markets that are ending in a boom-bust cycle. The BIS said in a quarterly review that the issuance of subordinated debt, which leave le- leaves lenders exposed to bigger losses if things go wrong, has jumped more than threefold over the last year to $52 billion in Europe and jumped tenfold to $22 billion in the U.S. In other words, these are leveraged loans. These are loans that uh, are being taken out by companies uh, that uh, are subordinated to other debt meaning the other debt has to be paid first. So the, the, the risk of losses here uh, are very high to those investors. So the Bureau of Labor Statistics is coming out and saying is that we are set now for another financial crisis uh, that most likely will be worse uh, than the original one. Mr. White said that uh, the five years since Lehman have largely been wasted, leaving a global system that is even more unbalanced and may be running out of lifelines. The ultimate driver for the whole world is U.S. interest rate. And as this goes up, there will be fallout for everybody. The trigger could be Fed tapering, but there are a lot of things that can go wrong. I'm very worried that Abenomics could go awry in Japan. What he means about that is Abenomics is uh, their central banker there is printing money like crazy and making Ben Bernanke look like nothing. Uh, And... um, he said that the world has become addicted to easy money and with rates falling ever lower with each cycle and each crisis and there's little ammunition left if the system buckles again. I don't know what they will do. Abnomics for the world, I suppose, but this is the last refuge of the scoundrel. So in other words, the, 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 the world is looking at now another financial crisis, one that might be much greater than a crisis we experienced in 2008. And that's what I've been warning you about on this program. I've been warning you that we are headed into the next crisis. Whether it starts this month, October, in January, I can't pinpoint the date. But it's happening. Leverage debt. And this debt has to be unwound. And it's unsustainable. Whether it's Greek's debt, whether it's the United States debt, whether it's the debt of corporations or it's the debt of individual families. Ultimately, the debt is destroyed, and it's usually destroyed by a collapse of a currency. What happens is the central bank continues to print money to fund the deficits and the debt and keep rolling it over, but ultimately, at the end of the day, the debt implodes because the currency implodes, and when the currency starts going down, 
investors, especially foreign investors who hold fixed income instruments, namely treasury bonds, are going to want to get out of them because if the dollar's dropping 10, 20, 30 percent and they're receiving a 3 percent yield on a treasury bond, a 30 year treasury bond, they're going to want to sell that bond. And when they sell those bonds, there's not going to be enough money that the Fed can print to support the bond market, and it finally collapses. Interest rates skyrocket, the currency plummets, and inflation takes off. And that's basically what we're looking at. That's what the whole Western world is looking at. And that's what we have to be worried about. And that's what the Bank of International Settlements is telling us. That this is where we're going. And the Bank of International Settlements uh, is the top. It's the smartest, biggest. It's the central bank of central banks. And for them to come out and say this uh, is very telling. All right, take another short break. Phone number 866-472-5790 is the call number you're listening to. The Financial Physician, don't go away. When it comes to business, you'll find the experts here. Voice America Business Network. As your business grows, are you growing with it? Do you have the right balance of time, attention, work, and personal life? Take the growing pains out of growth and tune into The Business Edge with Marsha Zidle. If you are spending most of your energy managing problems rather than focusing on taking your business to the next level, our program will give you the steps you need to make sure you have everything in place for forward-thinking business leadership. The Business Edge is heard every Wednesday at 2 p.m. Eastern, 11 a.m. Pacific Time on the Voice America Business Channel. What are the reasons that over three-quarters of small businesses fail within three years? Why do 70% of U.S. women-owned businesses make less than $50,000 a year? What causes mid-sized companies to stagnate? Although today many fundamentals of business remain the same, there are critical current changes that are not being acknowledged, and the result is costly. Tune in to Moving Forward with host Jen Sabin. We'll discuss the core reasons and plans of action to keep your business moving forward. Listen Wednesdays at 1 p.m. Eastern, 10 a.m. Pacific on Voice America Business. Looking for a business talk radio program that's unlike any other talk radio program you've heard before? It's time to check out Game On! Business Talk Radio with host Dr. D. Anthony Miles. Dr. Miles and his guests will tackle some of the unconventional and controversial issues and topics in the business world. We'll outline, discuss, and provide solutions to certain problems in marketing, business management, financial accounting, and policies. You and your business can't afford to miss a show. Tune in Wednesdays at noon Eastern Time, 9 a.m. Pacific on The Voice. America Business Channel. From the boardroom to you, Voice America Business Network. On the Financial Physician, we don't just cover the good time financial news, we cover the good, the bad, and the ugly. Have a question for America's money doctor, Luz Gatigna? Call him now. It's toll-free, 1-866-472-5790. Or email the show. Here's the address, lou at thefinancialphysician.com. Now, back to Lou. Having trouble uh, texting you back, so I don't know if you hear me. If you, if we're going out normally, just give me a yes over the text. I could see your text. I just um, 
can't can't hear on my end. All right, so we're just going to go forward with the program, and uh, I don't need to hear. Just keep texting me. Let me know where we are on the program. All right, let's go to. Uh, um, you know, I mentioned before the break about the Bank of International Settlements and how they're saying we're heading for a disaster and uh, uh, that uh, it's going to be worse in 2007, 2008. And uh, uh, I can understand that. I mean, look at this. A record 23,116,000 American households were enrolled in the federal government uh, food stamp program during the month of June. And that's information that was just released. Uh, and that outnumbers the 20. 20,618,000 households that the Census Bureau estimated were in the entire Northeastern United States as, a rec- as, as, of, as of the second quarter of 2013. In other words, that there's over 2.5 million more people on food stamps in the United States uh, that live in, than live in the Northeast. And the Northeast is a big area. We're talking Maine, New Hampshire, Vermont. Massachusetts, Connecticut, Rhode Island, New Jersey, New York, and Pennsylvania. Uh, these are um, these are the um, biggest, most populated states in the nation. So, I mean, you know, twenty-three million households. We're not talking about twenty-three million people. It's closer to fifty million people are on food stamps, and that's that's just uh, that's just a shame. And during the four years that uh, marked uh, President Barack Obama's first term in office. The real median income of American households dropped by $2,627. And the number of people in poverty increased by approximately 6,667,000. Again, this is according to the Census Bureau. So, over the first term of uh, Barack Obama, median income down 2627 and the number of people in poverty up 6,667,000. And a record total of approximately 47 million people uh, are now in poverty. And that's a sad thing. That's absolutely a sad thing. You know, the president um, campaigned on hope and change, and he was going to uh, make things better for the middle class. Well, the middle class is slowly disappearing, and more and more people have entered the poverty uh, realm and record number of people on food stamps and the average income of the average American family or worker is down $2,627. That's why the next crisis is going to be so bad. It's coming from an already weakened economy. And that is not a good thing. And with so many people in poverty, they're not going to rise up. There's nothing that are going to bring these people out of poverty. The direction is into poverty. And uh, a part of this is, is Obamacare. Well, what's poverty, first of all? How do you define poverty? Right? The income threshold at which a person was determined to be, quote-unquote, in poverty, according to the Census Bureau, depended on the size of the household. If a person lived by themselves and earned less than eleven thousand two hundred and seventy dollars in two thousand and twelve, they were considered to be in poverty. A family of two was considered in poverty if they earned less than fourteen thousand nine hundred and thirty seven. The threshold for a family of three was eighteen thousand two hundred and eighty four. 
For a family of four, it was 23492 And for a family of five, it was 27827 That's poverty. And more and more people are earning less and less money, and they're going into poverty. And a lot of it has to do with the policies of the current administration. That is not pro-capitalism, is not pro-middle class, is not pro-growth. And with Obamacare getting ready to kick in in just the next few weeks, it's even making it worse. And the list of companies that are moving to cut hours for for part-time workers continues to grow. We're hearing that every day as employers look to keep staffers below the 30-hour threshold uh, set by the Affordable Care Act. In other words, if you work more than 30 hours a week, you've got to be covered by your employer. So, well, what are employers going to do? Durr, they're going to cut them back to 28 hours or 29 hours. And that's what a lot of companies are doing. Now, the Obama administration announced that the, the employer mandate, the so-called employer mandate, uh, is going to be pushed back until 2015. Now, they didn't change the individual ma- mandate, but they did change the um, employer mandate. Now, Obamacare requires companies with 50 employees or more to provide health insurance benefits for every full-time worker. And that's considered to be anybody who logs more than 30 hours a week. And employers will be hit with a penalty for each full-time employee who isn't covered and instead purchases insurance through a federally subsidized exchange. And although the administration uh, delayed implementing the rule into 2015, the penalties for that year will be based on staffing levels recorded in the second half of next year, 2014, at the latest. And as a result, large companies and a long list of smaller businesses have changed their policies to cap weekly hours at 29. According to an April survey conducted by the Society for Human Resource Management, uh, 41% of 603 small business owners said they delayed hiring because of the federal health care law. One in five already cut hours, while 20% have reduced payroll. Mercer Human Resources Consulting Company said its own survey found that 12% of all U.S. employers reported plans to reduce workers' hours as a direct result of the Affordable Care Act. The impact was uh, more pronounced in retail and hospitality industries with 20% of employers saying they will cut part-time hours. So if you're a, you, know, you work at McDonald's, you work at a Applebee's or something like that, you're being cut back to, to under 30 hours. Uh, most recently, theme park operator SeaWorld revealed that it reduced its cap on weekly hours for part-timers to 28 from 32. So, I mean, we've seen this across the board. Uh, Trader Joe's is going to give each of their employers $500 in January to help cover the cost of insurance purchased on subsidized exchanges. They're not going to offer it. Hey, here's $500. Go find it yourself. It's kind of like the 401k. Remember we used to get pensions when we used to work for companies? You work there and you retired, you get a pension. Then all of a sudden the employers say, wait a second, we don't want to do this anymore. We'll give you a, an opportunity to save for your retirement to a 401k and we'll subsidize it a little bit with a match on some of the money you put in there. But we're doing away with our pension. And that's what's happening now in healthcare. Healthcare is now becoming a 401k. You go buy it, we'll give you some money for it. Other companies joining the parade, uh, Walmart, biggest retailer in the country, made headlines early in the summer when 
A Reuters survey revealed that the world's largest retailer was only hiring temporary employees in many of its stores, something it normally would do just during the holiday season. Walmart said about 10% of its workforce is temporary, compared to between 1% and 2% before this year. So you see that happening there. Apparel maker Land's End has also turned to cutting hours to no more than 29 a week. I mean, so what's going on across the board? Regal Entertainment sent out a memo recently. Uh, the nation's largest movie theater chain uh, operates 50, 500 theaters in 38 states, blamed Obamacare requirements for capping hours below the 30-hour threshold. Quote, to comply with the Affordable Care Act, also known as Obamacare, Regal had to increase our health care budget to cover those newly deemed eligible based on the law's definition of a full-time employee. To manage this budget, all other employees will be scheduled in accord uh, with business needs and in a manner that will not negatively impact our health care budget. So in other words, we have to cover a lot more people that work over 30 hours, and a lot of people we're going to put below 30 hours to make up for it. New England Motor Freight, New Jersey-based trucking company, implemented in June an hourly cap for about 400 part-time employees, saying the company can't afford to offer them health insurance. Now, the administration's coming out saying that there's no evidence that people are being cut back. I just read you uh, just a small amount of this. And it's not just the private sector that's cutting back hours for part-time employees. It's um, more than uh, 200 public sector employers uh, are reducing hours to avoid Obamacare penalties. That was a list compiled by Investors Business Daily. In fact, uh, the effect of Obamacare thus far appears to be more pronounced in the public sector. And many uh, towns in the United States and counties have joined joined in and cut part-time hours. And uh, 34 universities and colleges are doing the same for part-time. So again, we're becoming a part-time nation now, simply due to Obamacare. And it should have been, uh, I mean, we all should have seen it coming. Now, today, and actually yesterday, uh, the Health and Human Services Administration finally came out uh, with uh, some premiums from the exchanges that are going to be run in the different states. This is where people are going to go and may get subsidies, depending on their income, to help pay for it. And there's bronze, there's different levels of coverages. There's bronze, there's silver, gold, and platinum. The bronze plan, which obviously is the cheapest and it's the least generous, are designed to cover about 60% of medical costs. And they carry higher deductibles. So you know, a lot of this comes out of pocket from you. Well, let's look at uh, one state, Alabama. The current low-cost premium before Obamacare for this kind of policy is $80 a month. That's going to jump to 170 a month uh, due to Obamacare on October 1st. Uh, that's only a 113% increase. Now, I realize these plans are mostly younger people who don't need health insurance mainly in the first place for the most part. Here in my state, New Jersey, currently... $162, the, the current low-cost bronze-type plan, that jumps to 219 You live, live in Louisiana, you're going to see a big increase. Right now, you pay $39 a month. That's going to 170 So what's that, 400% increase? Kansas, $43 now, $170 October 1st. And here we have the, the administration coming out and telling us uh, that uh, premiums are going to go down. And it's just doing the opposite. And the average individual uh, 
uh, policy across the country is going to go up about 99% for the average male and about, um, and about 62% for women. I mean, this is outrageous. I mean, this is a total disaster. Now, the government's coming out and saying premiums nationwide are going to be 60% lower than originally expected. They originally predicted that these premiums were going to even be higher, these increases. And they're 16% less of an increase. Tell that to somebody who's seeing their premiums go up 400% because of Obamacare. And for this to work, we need the younger people to be the health for this, bring the premiums in. Otherwise, it ain't going to work. And a lot of these young kids, are they going to continue? I don't know. But obviously, premiums are going up. They're not going down on Obamacare. And there's a lot more problems here. And uh, another study shows that, that health care spending is going to increase $7,450 a year for the typical family of four uh, when Obamacare kicks in. So another nail in the coffin of the economy. Uh, we're a country now of part-time workers. All right, one more segment left of the program. 866-472-5790 is the program. My name is Lou Skatigna. Don't go away. Always talking business. Talk to an expert. Call now. Toll free. 866-472-5790. That's 866-472-5790. Voice America Business Network. Today, enterprise technology is both strategic and global. Each week on CIO Talk Radio, IT thought leaders from around the world share their experiences with listeners as they discuss with Sunjog All how they are trimming costs and partnering with business to innovate and help IT become more competitive. This means better care for customers and improves the corporate bottom line. If you want to keep up with IT thought leadership, listen to CIO Talk Radio with Sunjog All every Wednesday at 7 a.m. Pacific Time, 10 a.m. Eastern Time on the Voice America Business Channel, the bottom line in business talk. If you want to know about investing in emerging and frontier markets, or if you have experience in this field but still need to know more, tune in to Emerging and Frontier Markets Investing with Gavin Graham. Gavin explores news, current trends, and insights about both categories of investing. His guest experts, along with his own knowledge, will help you stay above the line when it comes to growth potential, whether in funds or equities. He will look at what to invest in and avoid. Tune in to Emerging and Frontier Markets Investing with Gavin Graham every Wednesday at 9 a.m. Eastern Time, 6 a.m. Pacific Time on the Voice America Business Channel. Now there's a new destination for video content, VoiceAmerica.tv, just like our radio channels and so much more. Voice America Variety, Health and Wellness, Business, Sports, Green Talk, Power Up Motorsports, and 7th Wave Network now have their own video channel components. Plus, check out exclusive programming, including movies, music, educational courses, science and history, current events, and short features. High-definition, premier-quality programs available 24-7, VoiceAmerica.tv. If you think you've seen online TV like this before, let us surprise you. The 
business community's first choice in Internet Talk Radio, Voice America Business Network. The Financial Physician, your source for straightforward, no-nonsense financial advice. Call America's Money Doctor right now. It's toll-free. 1-866-472-5790. You can also log on to our website at www.thefinancialphysician.com. Now, back to Lou Scatigna. All right, welcome back. We're dealing with a little bit of a... Technical difficulties during the um, program. I, you could hear me. I can't hear you So and, and my producer. So we're kind of muddling along, but we'll get through it. Now, before I went to the break, I was talking about Obamacare's effect on uh, employment, how a lot of people now are, uh, are staring at part-time employment or being held back to 28, 29 hours just so companies can avoid um, paying for health insurance for you because if you work 30 hours or more, uh, you're considered full-time. And uh, I did a recent Google search and the the search was companies dropping health insurance due to Obamacare. And I got so many pages, I couldn't go through it. But just to read some of the headlines, uh, Obamacare, Walgreens dropping current coverage for 160,000 workers. Home Depot sending 20,000 part-time workers uh, to health exchanges. Trader Joe's to drop health coverage for part-time workers. LifeTouch dropping health coverage for all part-time workers. 40% of U.S. companies to alter health care plans drop coverage. Employers dropping coverage for thousands of spouses over Obamacare. What they're saying is basically that um, that uh, your spouse now can go get a um, uh, uh, go to the exchange. We don't have to cover them anymore. UPS cuts insurance to fifteen thousand spouses. Blames Obamacare. I mean, I can go on and on, you know, about this. Uh, Sears Holding Corp. Cutting part-time insurance due to Obamacare. Darden restaurants, same thing. Uh, IBM and GE recently announced similar changes in their retirees' plans. So there's all kinds of negative things happening out there uh, due to Obamacare. I'm going to hear more and more of it as we get close to October 1st when these exchanges open. Uh, it's a disaster. It's been totally mismanaged. It's a terrible, terrible law. Uh, and although not one Republican in the House or Senate voted for it, it was rammed down our throat. And even Democrats are, are feeling the heat about it. And, uh, you know, uh, Ted Cruz is out there. Senator Cruz uh, just did a, what, 16, 17-hour uh, filibuster. He was amazing last night. Give the guy credit. He's passionate about what he believes. And he's not your typical elite uh, Republican or Democrat out there. He hears what the people are saying, and six out of ten don't want this, uh, and he's looking for ways to defund it. Now, Charles Krauthammer, I think, has a good point. He says, you know what? Let the law go into effect. Let Americans see what this is really all about and how awful it is. Uh, let the Republicans uh, take over uh, the Senate and the House uh, next year in the, in the midterm elections and then repeal it. And I think that's probably a good strategy because let's face it. If the, the Republicans are responsible for shutting down the government, uh, you know, they won't be responsible. But if it happens because of anything uh, they put in and the, and the president vetoes a, a bill to fund the government except for Obamacare, they're going to blame the Republicans for shutting down the government and shutting down food stamps and all that. And that's never a, a win situation. Uh, 
uh, for the opposition, especially with the mainstream media uh, firmly behind uh, the Obama administration uh, regarding this. Uh, and, and it's not going to get defunded. It's just not going to happen at this point. Uh, but he is um, fighting the good fight. And it's amazing that uh, Republicans, uh, elite Republicans, uh, are more um, in opposition than some Democrats are. Really, it's, it's, it's pretty amazing. All right, news came out this afternoon. U.S. regulators on Wednesday closed a five-year investigation into alleged manipulation of the silver market, saying 7,000 staff hours of investigation produced no evidence of wrongdoing. The decision by the Commodities Futures Trading Commission was a defeat for silver commentators and investors who urged the probe, saying big banks were selling the metal short, using futures and options to hold prices down. Big Traders has dismissed the investigation as a waste of time and uh, charges as a conspiracy theory. Now, this has been going on for seven years. Now, I watch the gold and silver market every day. It, you don't have to be a market expert to see manipulation. And we see it every day in the markets, mainly run by J.P. Morgan. And, and, and this probe gathered urgency in 2011 when silver uh, prices doubled to a record $50 an ounce and then collapsed 30% in five days for no reason. I mean, there was no news to warrant it. It was attacked. So we have a seven-year investigation, and they come out and say um, – Based upon uh, the law and evidence as they exist at this time, there's not a viable basis to bring an enforcement action with respect to any firm or its employees related to our investigation of silver markets. Seven years to say that. Now, the commissioner of the Commodities Futures Trading uh, Commission, Bart Chilton, uh, he was the one who was championing the silver inquiry. Uh, he said he was disappointed afterwards. For me, there's not been a more frustrating or disappointing non-policy-related matter at the CFTC, he said in a statement after the agency's announcement. Now, this is the chairman of the agency saying he's disappointed at the conclusion of his own agency, that there's no collusion, there's no manipulation. Uh, GATA, the Gold Antitrust Action Committee, who I follow very closely, Bill Murphy, uh, they've been an outspoken uh, gold advocacy group, and they contend that the Federal Reserve and other banks are colluding to keep gold and silver prices artificially low. was not surprised by the decision to shelve the case. We believe the U.S. government is part of the trading operation. In essence, you're not going to have the CFTC turn against its own government, said Bill Murphy, chairman of GATA. We are not even slightly surprised and had expected this. And uh, J.P. Morgan, who's uh, the one that's the biggest player in the silver market, and had the largest short position, uh, declined to comment. Now, uh, let's face it. J.P. Morgan doesn't do anything wrong. These big banks never do anything wrong. Oh, look at this article right here. J.P. Morgan uh, has its fill of legal headaches. And to solve a large chunk of the problem, the bank is now making a big offer. It will pay what would amount to be one of the biggest fines in history to the Department of Justice to wipe clean the slate with prosecutors. And the Wall Street Journal says it offered $3 billion for a global settlement. So the winner paid $3 billion on all kinds of issues in front of the Justice Department to make it go away. And that's really a pittance compared to what they're really up against as far as lawsuits go. Here are some of the recent settlements they have. And that's the problem with these big banks. 
They just settle for a big amount of money. They make billions, settle for a half of five hundred million, and uh, and they're gone. September nineteenth, nine hundred twenty million fine to settle the big whale trade, uh, where the company lost six billion dollars. September nineteenth, three hundred eighty nine million. 80 million in fines. They refunded 309 million to credit card customers to set up regulators' charges that harm consumers. I got the list is so long, but unfortunately, I'm running out of time. We'll talk about it more next week. Obviously, there is collusion by J.P. Morgan in every single market. It's the biggest criminal organization going. All right, out of time. Let's go so fast here on the Financial Physician. Thanks so much for joining us. Remember the website, thefinancialphysician.com. My email, Lou at thefinancialphysician.com. Have a wonderful week, and please join me next Monday and every Monday for the next edition of the Financial Physician. Have a great week.